History Lecture 25, Rabbi Blyweiss. Uh, today we're going to do a tour of, we've now, the, the communities, the, the kingdoms have firmly and decidedly split apart. Uh, we saw, we, we did a, a quick detour and an update, and one of my more one of my favorite sections talking about the prophets as a unique enterprise institution that, that characterizes this time period. Um, with some really unusual figures. I ended with talking about Amos, who's less known, less appreciated, and utterly gishmat. Um, now let's revive ourselves. Who still has who still has their handouts that I gave you uh, the other day? Great. Um, so let me let me revise this. Let me let me at least reinforce who we're talking about. Um, we you have the list of kings. Today we're holding by the son of Rehoboam in the south. That's Avia, sometimes called Aviam. And then we're going to meet Asa, and then in the north we're going to, we're going to meet other kings as well. Uh, Meanwhile, another piece, and I did, thanks to Aaron, remember to bring in, uh, I don't have for everybody here, and anyway, half of you don't want to take my handouts, you leave them on the table, so only take one of these if you want one, uh, and share with a friend. But take um, take a, take the handout that is finally the list of the Messiah. This one I will be coming back to and, and, and making reference to, Often I'm going to take this. I'm going to share this with you. A lot of the time, when I say it's the history of the Masora, let me let me at least define the term. That means at Har Sinai. This is such a central theme in all of history. At Mount Sinai, Hashem gave us the Torah. The Torah came in two ways. The Torah was the written five books of Moshe, together with the entire oral tradition. Without the oral tradition, we don't know what the written tradition even means. That's the package. And for many, many, many generations, all the way down to the late Second Temple period, so for many years, this tradition was handed down ish mipi ish from one man to the next. Usually the mode of, of transmission was uh, you learned with your Rebbe for 40 years until you completely mastered all of the Torah, and then you turned around and learned with your students, your disciples, till they mastered it, and then were able to be capable of transmitting it to the next generation. What you're looking at, this list is subject to dispute. Not everybody agrees with the names precisely that you see listed in front of you. Can everybody at least get to um, share? Do you, do you have in the back row? Can you look if you want to? So so if you look at this list, you see, you know, really obviously Moshe and Yoshua, and then you go down and you'll notice in the, in the early generations, there's a long list What's very striking is the fact that some of the transmission has, and, and, and some of the people had a great longevity. Somehow Pinchas seems to have survived this immense period of time that's the entire show team in order to transmit the whole, the whole package to um, Elia Cohen, who is the Shmuel and David, all the way down. Look at all these great prophets, most of the ones, as we said yesterday, that, that have a book named after them, with three exceptions. Um, and then going down already into the Second Temple period, all the way down, the last name that you see in front of you, Marbarabashi, represents the culmination of the Babylonian Talmud and the Amorim. Very good, are you? The Amorim. At that point, there is officially no longer, get this idea, there's officially no longer an oral transmission that comes to a close <laughs> with the ceiling, what we call the Talmud, and that's why one of the major reasons today if you want to be a card-carrying Jew, you have to know Talmud. Talmud is the repository of everything. And if it's not in the Talmud, it's not Judaism. So that's because all of that was transmitted down to this last phase in history, at which point 
at which point there was, because of the dangers and the times had changed, the persecution had grown so great that there was no longer, uh, you couldn't rely on oral transmission. Maybe the people, the leaders of the generation would be killed off. And so therefore, you needed to be recorded in a text. And from that point on in history, everybody who's a serious Jew not only learns the Talmud, but has a mastery of the Talmud, because that's, that's our tradition. Yeah. Uh, to, uh, talking back to history, but didn't, but didn't Avia already die yesterday? Um, yeah, he did. Yeah. And Avia is alive, alive and well. Uh, Avia died yesterday, and Avia is alive and well because the Avia who died yesterday was Yeruvam's son yeah, oh, in the north. But Avia, who's alive right now, that I'm mentioning right now, is Rehavam's oh, son. That's and isn't that confusing? And I warned you about that. That's why I gave you these. Give it to me, Barack, so I can yeah, hold it up. I, I Anybody who'd like another copy, you might have misplaced it or you weren't here that day, I'm happy to give you all, all of the above. These are, I think, helpful lists because you can keep, try to keep track of who's in the north, who's in the south in this somewhat confusing period in which, you know, hard for us to understand, they sometimes have the same name. So there's a V in the north and there's a V in the south. And this one is, is Rehavam's son. So if you want to trace the lineage, anybody who can match me and do the whole link, from Adam down to Tzidkiyahu, the whole generations. You, you, need, you need to remember Avia. We go in the, in the house of David, at least. We go David, Shlomo, Rechavam, who we met. I'm going I'm to whip you with scorpions. Remember him? He's the one who inadvertently led to the split in the nation. And now his son, a few words I don't have much to say about him. He was not that consequential a figure in history. His name is Avia, sometimes called Aviam. He tries to reclaim, hold it up for just a second. Let me, just, let me give you just a notion on Avia. He tries to reclaim the lost honor of his father. Once upon a time, when, when Rehavam was, was at the beginning of his monarchy, things went well, and Avia tries to restore that. He conquers, he, he goes to war with his, the fellow Jews in the north, and he conquers certain tracts of land, the southern portion along the border. He's able to conquer some of those portions. Um, but that's, not, that's just about it in terms of his significance. He, to his... Uh, to his uh, to, to a fault, he did nothing against his mother, his mother's Maha Bas Avshalom, and she maintained the Avodazara in her household. He didn't stop her or any of the other women serving Avodazara. But the Pasuk does tell us that he did defend Tyra and Mitzvos, and uh, he was a from person. He just was uh, not not necessarily of the stature of his forebears. Um, yeah, go ahead, Zach. Um, you have to send any... I just passed out everything that I have. If you want more, there were a bunch left behind on the tables before, and then I guess they got thrown away or something. But if you want something from me, you all have my email address? Send me an email reminder, and I'll get you anything you want. Clean enter. Menashe Blyweiss at Gmail. And if you don't have it, most of these guys do. Okay, Menashe Blyweiss at gmail.com. Um, Avia ruled for three years. There was a constant civil war between him, leading the south, and Yeruvim is still in the north. Uh, Yeruvim members still close the borders. Um, the Yerubarbanel makes an important insight. We see very little of any of the discussion of wars in the Book of Kings. Has anybody here learned the Book of Kings? Okay. There, if you ever notice, there's not much going on about the wars. In Yamin, yes, there are wars. Book of Kings, not so much. Almost nothing. Almost nothing. And the Barbanel has, a, has a, an, inval an invaluable insight and explanation. I've said this idea. He says, Malachim was written, this is the third time I'm asking the question, who wrote the book of Malachim? Yirmiyahu <coughs> Anafi. 
Yirmiyahu and Navi wrote the book of Malachim. And when Yirmiyahu is writing Malachim, he has a different agenda. He's trying to give over, he's trying to come up with, he's trying to teach the Jews Musr. He's not so interested in the wars. What he's interested in, who are these people and are they worthy or unworthy? And he, he recounts their sins and their great moments too. And that's what that's what um, Yirmiyahu is doing. In Diver, who wrote Diver Hayyamim, the book of Chronicles, at the end of the Tanakh? Much later, the men of the great assembly, what we call the Anshik Nesigola, they had a different agenda. They wanted to show the greatness. They were trying to show the greatness of the house of David. And there they talk about the wars, because the wars make the kings look good. So there is where we find a discussion of Avia, but not, not so much here. Um, Avia's son is much more famous and consequential. Has anybody here ever heard or studied Asa Hamelech? He's, he's a very interesting, important figure for the following reasons. Um, Zach, did you ask your question? Good. Uh, um, Asa rules for 41 years, so he's, he's around for a while, and whenever you see a number like 40, 41, that also cries out, there's something of consequence. Who else ruled for a similar number of years? David. Shlomo. 40 is never coincidental. So there's something of importance here, of stature, and we see that in Asa, the Pasuk itself tells us, listen to the, listen to the words, Vayas Asa Hayasha Bene Hashem Ki David. Asa does good in the eyes of Hashem like David. What do you deduce from the Pasuk? Can the Mepharshim explain this? 40 for sure, what else? Asa is the first king in the line of base David who's equated with David himself. He even, apparently, was greater in statue than, than Shlomo. So from all the way down to David, Shlomo, Rechav, Mavia, now you get, to the, you get to the fifth generation. The great, great grandchild of David is, is Asa, and he's a formidable person, as, we'll, as we're about to say. Now, Macha is still kicking. She's still around. Remember, Macha was Rechavim's wife, Absalom's daughter, and she was into idolatry. She was into Avodazara, and um, they bowed to her. Some she had a following. Can you imagine? How does a person like that have a following? But you know, when you're charismatic and you speak a good game and you come from the royal family, it's not unheard of that people will, will generate a following. And she did, and they used to bow down to her. And um, Asa, one of his first great acts was to get rid of his grandma. Not something we usually think is a very polite thing to do, but in this case, absolutely. When it comes to idolatry, we don't play favorites. We don't even, we don't even, uh, uh, no, no nepotism or anything like that. We get rid of them, and he got rid of. He he had her removed. It's not clear the different Mepharshim explained did he have her killed, in prison, or simply removed from her position. Um, she was actually she was. Foul. It's shocking. Sometimes we think of, uh, you know, we don't realize the Medrash says some really um, uh, very graphic, explicit things. She was what's it, what they call a Kadesha, which meant she was a prostitute for idolatry. They used to have that. They used to have, they used to have male prostitutes and female prostitutes. She was actually a female prostitute for idolatry, for the, worshiping the Asherah. And um, if you listen to my Malachim Shir, I actually describe what she used to do. I don't want to do that right now, it's just too gross. Uh, she used to do some wild things. Is that yeah, yeah. I didn't make. I don't make them up, folks. I just. I don't know. I mean, to be from. She was. She was. You. You. You're kind of left wondering. Wow. We don't even have that in the world today. She outdid some of our modern post-60s 
you know, uh, uh, you know, sexual deviance. What she used to do. Ichs. I mean, there's a reason why the Torah prohibits idolatry. It's conducive to all kinds of immorality, depravity. What's that? It's impressive, but like in a very negative way. Right. It's shocking. It's striking. Just the gross practices of us grandma macha. But she's, she, he gets rid of her. Um, most significantly, Asa, and then later his own son Yehoshaphat, who's going to be the next king, Asa manages to do a sweeping tour around all of the southern kingdom, we call Yehuda, Judea, and he, gets, he manages to purge the nation of any vestige of idolatry. There, was li- there were little bits and pieces lingering, and Asa gets rid of it. And that, for that, uh, in, in terms of his legacy, when he leaves for us, that's a great legacy. He and his son Yoshaphat are great people. That's the Gemara and Shabbos talks about this. Where he failed, he failed in very specific ways that are all accented in the Psukim, because again, Yemiyah is trying to draw out the weaknesses, but um, really, he was a tzaddik with a few made a few mistakes. A, the Jews still have a practice that they've had for a few generations. Even though we're only allowed to offer sacrifices to the base of Mikdash, many Jews maintain the practice of maintaining bamos. What's a bama? And I'm not talking about the American president. Personal sacrifices. Often in a high place. Bama literally means a high place. Because, you know, there, there's a, for example, anybody ever hike above En Gedi? What they call the, the, the Shulami Springs? It's if I, the family hike. You know what I'm talking about? Up on top of the mountain there is a big um, uh, a, a remains, archaeological remains from a big pagan uh, um, site of worship. And you stand up, and, and it's from the period of, of the forefront of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and, and they have a lot of accoutrements, including they found a lot of dead animal carcasses that date back to that period. And you stand up there, and you're looking over the Dead Sea, and it's a, it's a sumptuous view, and you can understand why in the high places they might be inspired to do spiritual things. That's why it's called Vamos, and it was, it was already so entrenched in the people that it's a Torah prohibition, but otherwise God-fearing, Torah-practicing Jews maintained their Vamos. They offered sacrifices, and again the word for sacrifice is Korban, because Korban has to do with coming close. Every one of us, and every, every human being alive, deeply desires to draw close to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. when you take something valuable, like an animal in the ancient world, and you put it on the altar and you sacrifice it, you do draw close to Hashem in ways that it's hard for us to fathom today because we have nothing quite like that, but that's what's going on. So in a sense, I think with the best of intentions, we can understand their fascination and their desire to have Bamos, and they use the Bamos to serve Hashem, but it's ironic to be serving Hashem by violating the Torah. And that's what they were doing. And Asa didn't, couldn't, wouldn't remove the Bamos. Jake, I'll take the question in a moment, but let me just at least address that. What's going on? Why didn't he? Why wouldn't he? So that's that's a question that many of the Mepharshim try to deal with. Um, right now, they're not sources of Avodah That'll happen in the future. Many, like the Rabad, the Mitsudo, say they thought that the Bamos were allowed. Because they were used to them, remember in that period that our Aaron Ibrahim keeps asking me about, the period before Shlomo those the base of Mikdash, they were allowed to have Bamos, and they just got used to them as they felt that it was okay. So that's how they, that's how they justified it. 
The Bamos will remain a fixture of the Jewish people for 12 generations. And in the, if you learn Malachim, as I encourage you to do, you see, you know, even when they describe a good king, Asa did this and that, and the other thing, Yoshafat does this and that, and so many great things, and yet they don't remove the Bamos. And again, and they, did, they never managed to get rid of the Bamos. And it's this plague, it's this constant, as it were, it's almost this, this, this ball and chain that's dragging the Jewish people at our ankle that we couldn't get rid of this, this, this terrible uh, facet of our, of our generations. Um, the last comment is, why were they so hard to remove? And the Malvin has a beautiful comment on this. He said, Bamos really, really represent, get this idea, really represent Jewish divisiveness. I don't want to dive into the base of Mikdash. I don't want to dive into your shul. I like my shul the way it works just fine. They find the guy in the desert island, and he's been there for 30 years. And he's from, and he's built an entire, all for himself. He's got everything. He's got a base medrash, and he's got a mikvah, and he's got all the accoutrements of Jewish life. Of course, it's a Chinese restaurant. Um, and he's got everything you could possibly want. And he's built for himself two shuls. And the, uh, he's finally rescued, and his rescuers are getting a tour, and they can't believe his, his prowess, his abilities in building institutions, and he's, they're ooing and aahing, and they say, you know, it's amazing what you've done, but tell us. You're one person alone on this desert island. Why the two different synagogues? And he said, well, I'll tell you. See that one over there? Uh, in that one over there, I daven shachris mintha mairiv. And the one across the street, see that one over there? I wouldn't step foot in that place if you paid me. <laughs> Jewish divisiveness. You know the joke, right? Half you, half you were making faces. Oh yeah, I know this one, right? Was, but that's that's just you know, we're the breakaway, the breakaway, the breakaway. Was that? Oh, because there always has to be the shul I don't dive in. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's the one. Well, that's not good enough. Right, it's not good enough. Oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go in that place. And um, Rav Noach Weinberg Zatzal, who's the Rosh Hashiva and founder of Eshet Torah, and originally actually from this institution, he was he was with uh, Rav Schiller, Weinberg. Um, so, so Rav Noach Weinberg had a beautiful, and this was quoted to me, I never heard this from him directly, but he said, you know, remember the famous Medrash that all the um, nations of the world were offered the Torah? Yes. And each one said, what's in it? And Hashem answered with their relative Achilles heels, so that if you study the Medrash, it says, you know, when Yishmael said, what's in it? Do you remember what, what Hashem responded to, to Yishmael particularly? Lotigzo, don't steal. Because Yishmael, because I'll say, have a particular hang-up about stealing uh, until today. The problem is, you know why they can't keep the metal street signs in the desert? Because they're constantly being stolen and stolen as scrap metal. It's, it's a facet of the world until today. Uh, when Asaph, you know, when, they, when the descendants of Asaph ask, what's in the Torah, what does Hashem respond? Okay, don't kill. Don't kill. Lo sir and Esau said, what are you talking about? Said, I can't do that. Our way of life, you know, and the curse is said, you know, by your sword you'll live. That's our way of life. We're not going to go without that. Each nation basically rejected the Torah based on their own Achilles heel, their own weakness. So Rav, Rav, Rav Noach asked the following question. Let's imagine hypothetically that, that Shalom, what did the Jews answer when Hashem said, you want the Torah? Nasavadish, famously. Let's imagine Shalom, the Jews were to have said what's in it. And Hashem would have responded with our Achilles heel. What would you imagine? And I don't think it's a right and wrong answer, although I guess the right answer that is the way Noah was miscalculated to. What would you say would Hashem's answer would have been? Which mitzvah would would, would yeah, Hashem would have said, Oh, we can't do that? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I'm pretty decent with that. A lot of Jews are generous. Abu Nazara, you want to say what do you say, Daniel? Um, don't, uh, like, you know, 
These all might be right. By the way, this is not a right or wrong answer, but I think there's a better answer. What, what's the mitzvah? Shalom. Shalom, what's the mitzvah? I know, what's the mitzvah? There's no mitzvah, Shalom. What's the mitzvah you're doing here? Throughout entire history, Jews have been fighting Jews. I know, I know, but I'm talking about Tariyak mitzvahs. Which mitzvah is Shalom referring to? You and not Nami Yochalashem. So this is what I said, and apparently this was the answer that Rav Noach had in mind. Ve'ahta lebecha kamocha. That's really, which is like a very easy way to say, loving your neighbors yourself. We don't all get along very well. Just witness the dormitories. No, it's really hard for us. Especially, I don't know if you know this, Jews tend to be really strong personalities. And it's hard for us to get together. And the Malbian is explaining the Bamos and the constant attachment to the Bamos in this light. That somehow it's very hard for us to rally around and, and come together and in unity and, and, and really do things. And we see this reflected in these historical realities. What do you, what do you, what do you have, Jake? What were you going to say? How, yeah. So up north, where they couldn't go to the base of Mikdash because of the gods on the border. Right. In the northern kingdom, you remember that they, they had closed the borders and the Jews from the north are not allowed in the, during this period of history to come down to Yerushalayim. And they weren't allowed to give bombs. Ah, uh, so you're saying that's even better reason in the north. I'm, but when the no, Pusuk so says this, uh, let me qualify something because I realized, when the Pusuk says that Asa couldn't remove the Bamos, it's saying that about the south, where yeah, they could yeah. come to Yerushalayim. Okay. So up north, how, how could they do to shoot? It's tricky. Well, if you're prevented from coming because there are guards there threatening you with death, you're what's called Anus, and you're not really doing a sin anyway. Not doing a sin, but they, let's say they started Bamos and they've been told not to do Bamos. Yeah. Right? How can they do to shoot? They can't do shuvah because they can't give a carbon. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Thing it's interesting. They're limited. It's true. Did, did they have <coughs> shuvah as a prayer, as, like, as we do on Yom Kippur? Well, okay. what do we do today? It's the same thing. We don't have the base of Mikdash. We can't bring korbanos. So we learn, we darshan from the Pasuk in Hosea, the Navi Hosea, Unashalam Farm Saseinu, that we pay from the cows of our lips. Bad translation, but that's what it means. We, we, when we daven, it's as if we're bringing a korban, so it must be something along those maybe lines. Maybe that's what the problem was. Maybe that's the whole problem. That's that an interesting had, twist on it. Yeah. They had no ability to do teshuvah. So they felt at least with the bama, maybe you had some connection with the shem. Very good. If you brought a uh, carbon to the uh, to the golden caps, two of them. Yeah. Would they be able to get teshuvah? Because at this point, it wasn't Ozara. It wasn't a but it, you can't. Listen, you can't break the Torah in the name of keeping the Torah. You can't offer... Look at the first parak of Yeshaya, of the Navi Yeshaya. He has a great piece exactly on this, where the Navi is railing against those so-called from Jews, who in the name of Frumkite are trying to do averas. You know, the guy who you know got rich by money laundering, and then he tries to pop <laughs> off half his money on, on some tzedakah organization and say, look what a tzaddik I am? It's dirty money, right? You can't do that. You can't rationalize it. Now, in the north, in the north, um, Nadav replaces his father Yeravam. He's the last in line. Remember, as was promised, remember Achia Shiloni had promised Yeravam. There are a lot of figures here, a lot of personalities, so I'm encouraging you to get down the names of these important figures. So, Nadav, the, the, the line was going to die out with Nadav. He's replaced his father. Um, and Nadav has a general by the name of Basha. Not to be confused with Asa, and the name sounds similar. So, Nadav's general. Basha assassinates him. He kills off the last in the line of Yeravam, which fulfills the prophecy that Achia told him the dynasty would be cut short at 35 years. And Basha, the general, starts the new dynasty. 
and it's starting a pattern that's going to repeat in the north, and you can look at that, good Aaron Freeman's studying the thing, you can see there are many short-lived dynasties, sometimes just two generations, father, son, or the king, and then they're wiped out, and somebody else comes, lots of intrigue in the north. And Bash is, Bash is the beginning of that story. Is that family with Hashemayim? No, nothing to do with Hashemayim. No, no connection. It's way earlier. Basha, you're talking about the Baitusi, maybe? What do you, what, do you, what connection do you make? Basha is not a big no, famous person. No, no, the one, the, um, the one with the slave killed uh, the family. I'm getting there. That's soon. Uh, oh, oh, no, 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 no. You're about Herod. That's way that's yeah, much I, later. You said Herod Hordus. Herod, who kills off all the Hashemayim, is what is the Mura Baba Basha, I think you're thinking of. Yeah, and then, and then the daughter, she like. Yeah, no, no, that's it. That's it. It's the very beginning. It's it's it's, it's Gimel on the base dial and us totally off. That's the way. At the, the end of the second half of the word, we'll get there. We'll get the time. Rav Larish, you asked a question yesterday. What plant is the seed for the? I know. I don't have it. Do you have something better? No, Aaron, didn't you say it today? What? What plant is the seed for the description of the basement? Oh, that was. Um, no, it's Oh, it's true. Ah, excellent. Of course that's the basic answer. That's a Gemara too. Yeah, uh, Jake's question yesterday, for those of you who weren't here, Jake, Jake asked, we saw that the seed of the, the, the destruction of the second temple was done early when Shlomo married Basparo and a few other places. So the, the seeds of the destruction of the first temple was definitely when they cried unnecessarily by the spies. Very good. By Tisha B'Av, they're going, be, they're going to be crying for the Chorban. Very good. Thank you for answering that. A little bit late, but good. I remember. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, Basha now takes over. And for all of his time in power, he fights Asa in the, in the south. Basha's in the north, Asa's in the south, and they are at war with one another. And Asa's concern, and Asa does his next problematic thing. Asa's not confident that he has the wherewithal to overcome his cousin in the north, Basha. Not his, not his real cousin, but the other Jew in the north, Basha. And so he, for the first time in history, makes an alliance with the non-Jew. He makes an alliance with the kingdom of Aram, which doesn't exist anymore, but Aram used to, be, so it used to be located in the area that we call Syria today. He makes an alliance with Hadad, Melech, Aram, and Hadad indeed scares off Basha, and for a temporary period, there's no war. But make a note of this, we see the first in a pattern in history, when Jews make a pact with non-Jews, it usually doesn't end up well. We're supposed to trust the Kaddish Baruch and I refer you, let's say in modern times, I'm thinking of when, the, when people snitched, the largest um, Jewish center in the uh, 19th century, anybody know? Where were the majority of the Jews in the world located, demographically? Germany. No, no, no. Go East, young man. Russia, Poland and Russia. And in Russia, with Tsarist Russia, stop, stop, stop. Um, in, in, in Tsarist Russia, Jews, were divided into a lot of different factions, and they're constantly being most snitching on one another and, and, and giving them giving one another over to the czars. And you know what happened? The czar made decrees against all the Jews. And all the Jews went down and suffered. And similar was going on in the same century with Ottoman Palestine, with the Ottomans, the Turks were involved. The Jews would play off the non-Jews and try to have the non-Jews come in. And the non-Jews again moved in, and we see that throughout history. This is the first time. Asa turns to Hadad, and we're going to see it's going to go, go it's, it's, it's going to have a bad, bad repercussions as follows. And some of you heard the story earlier. See if you can identify this. I told this story in one of my earlier shirim, not in this class. Asa digs a pit. His purpose for digging the pit, he hopes one day to throw Basha's carcass into the pit. 
He wants to bury his rival, his adversary, Basha in the north, and he never gets to do that. And uh, we learn from this, what comes around, goes around, comes around, history has a way, when you do something that's not good, we see it spinning out and having a, a negative impact at some future event, that pit lies empty for many generations and will be used in a future generation to bury a bunch of innocent people. Anybody know what I'm thinking of? I made reference to it? No, 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 no. It's a very particular episode, and I don't want to give, give any more hints, and I'm not telling you what it is. So what was Asa's pit? And if I don't tell you, stay tuned, because we'll, we'll get to it in a couple weeks. What was Asa's pit used for? And I'll give you one hint. It was used for a very famous episode that you all know the name of this. No, copy No, no, no. Later, later in history. Yosef's earlier. Later in history, there'll be an event that somebody, a very, a very beautiful, naive, trusting soul, a very naive, beautiful, trusts somebody and doesn't want to hear bad things about other, about somebody else. Doesn't want to hear, and and so he doesn't believe it. You already got it. Okay, don't say it. Let me figure it out. And and does it? And and he does that in his own peril. He will be murdered for not for not believing not believing the the the, uh, the story. And his carcass and all the rest of and all the people with him will be will be thrown into that same pit. No, no, no. You're, no, you're going backwards. Ahead. I'm going forwards in time. Okay, no. That's my riddle. That's my riddle. If you don't know the answer, you can go look it up or you can stay tuned. Where, where about the bit? Who is the it seems to be north of Yushalayim somewhere. I don't no, know. No, no, Archaeologically, no, no. we have not discovered that. I'm talking bit. about where in a book would it be? It would be in. Uh, if, I, if I say this, I'll give it away. You said look it up. Stay tuned. I'm going to look it up. Look, it up. look at Asa's pit. Look at Asa's pit and uh, look at the Gemara Nida. Talks about this. No, it's it's not a pit. It has to do with the day of the year. It does. Yeah, it's true. That's a good hint. No more hints. Day of the year. It does have to do with the day of the year in Judaism. Day of the year. Enough of that. Enough of that. Let's keep going. What's that? Was the king living? Was the king of the land? Hadad, who was the king of Aram, the non-Jew. Yeah, 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 it's an now, there's another very important, another another important aspect of Asa's life. Shlomo had married Bat Par, Bas Paro four years into his monarchy when he, when he was at the ripe old age of 16. You guys married yet? You're over the hill. The um, <laughs> so so when he was 16, he married Bas Paro, and the last 36 years of his reign um, was counted against him because he married Bas Paro. <clears throat> 36 years after the nation split, Asa, Shlomo's descendant, had the, had, he was the unique king in the position with the ability to reunite the northern and the southern kingdoms. And because of his sin, he failed to do that. And that, my friends, was the last opportunity that existed in history for reunification, for reuniting the 12 tribes of Klal Yisrael. And from that time to the present, and until Mashiach comes, we have not been unified. But Asa was our last hope. And it's, it's symbolic for 36 years, is, uh, is exactly, um, this is from the Seder Olam Rabbah, brings this down. That 36 years was a failed opportunity. At the end of his life, Asa develops a crippling foot disease. Uh, he's also faulted for something he didn't exempt the Torah students from fighting uh, Basha. Marinsota, and uh, and he dies a very sad death, even though his legacy is mainly positive. He really was a great man at Sadi, 
with important distinctions, with important mistakes. Uh, Anavi comes and says, remember, we're back to the north now, Basha and his dynasty is about to fall. Um, and indeed, Basha's son Elah, if you follow the list, Basha's son Elah becomes king. And this is what I thought Daniel was talking about. Daniel, Daniel's not here, but I think this, this, this is an interesting episode. The king Elah has a servant in his household by the name of Zimri. And Zimri rises up one day and kills off the entire household of Basha and Elah. It's a different example here, right? It's not Zimri that you're thinking of in the Torah. No, 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 but David, wasn't, wasn't David's servants? Uh, David's uh, Different person, different person, different person. This is Zimri, the servant of Elah, who kills off his master, and yet again, more intrigue in the north. He kills off, and he starts now the next dynasty. Zimri's dynasty lasts... One generation. One generation. How long? He sets a record seven days. He's king for seven days, by far the shortest monarch, uh, the shortest term of a monarch. Seven days. Zimri is king for seven days in the north. His colleague is a fellow, is a fighter by the name of Omri. Omri is elected to to uh, rise up and lead the rest of Claudius, uh, the northern kingdom. He, he leads a siege around the palace. The palace in those days in the north is in a, in a less known place called Tirza, north of Mount Eval. And there's a siege around, around um, Tirza. And rather than fall into enemy's hands, rather than Zimri falling into Omri's hands, he decides to burn down the palace. And if that means I die, so be it. And Zimri perishes at his own hands. It's a, it's a kind of suicide. Zimri, Zimri dies then. And with his death, Omri, now assumes the mantle, assumes, assumes the leadership, uh, and, and he'll lead the next dynasty, which is the, arguably the most famous, or one of the most famous of, of, of all of the northern tribes. His son, Omri's son, more famous than Omri himself, is Ahab. And we're about to meet Ahab. Um, let, me just, let me just comment, one last comment on, on, on Zimri. It's about Zimri, that is a famous mission in Pirkei Avos. Hillel teaches in the second chapter of Pirkei Avos, al the ataft atfuch v'sof Yitufun, um, which is fun to say, but also in translating, because you dripped, you made dripping, and your drippings were dripped. And I'll have to paraphrase that one, since it doesn't really make sense in the, in the pure translation, meaning what goes around comes around. Since you wiped out your own master, your own underlings wiped you out too. And that's the way of the world. Akadosh Baruch Hu, um, punishes us all, mida kenegin mida, he also rewards us all, mida kenegin mida, measure for measure, and that's the way, if you, if that's the way you're gonna be in the world, if you're gonna be a cold, nasty person, so expect a similar treatment in this world and the next. And that's, Zimri teaches us that principle, Barak. Is this when he goes to the skull and says, because yes. you Yes, and the skull is the skull of Zimri. Ah, that's the famous, others. exactly. Hillel looks at the skull and, and, and sees it and pronounces it on Zimri's skull, yeah. And you know, like you say, when David was anointed, like he had like the mug and David that was a shield around. Him. Yes. Did any of the other kings have that? We don't find that out. David was unique. David, David was one of a. And then were they anointed? Did Hashem Shachin rest on them? Like. Yes. All of the all of the base David was 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 exemplary. Some more than others. We met Asa today, but and we're about to meet Yosha, but some were greater than others. 
Omri, and then later, Omri rules not for a long period. Omri and his son Achav will expand the northern monarchy to its greatest lengths. They become a, an economical and military superpower of the time of that region in the north. And they decide, Omri decides he's going to build a new capital of the north instead of Tirza. Previously, it was Shrem and Beitel, and then, and then, um, and then Tirza. After Tirza, where is the, where, where becomes the permanent capital in the north? I love guiding this place too. They may know the name of it. They call it Shomron, and that's why the northern area, the city is called Shomron, and the ruins of the city you can tour today with great difficulty, but you can do it uh, in the, in, the, in Shomron. The whole region later will be generally called after the city Shomron. That's why we call it Judea and Samaria today. Samaria is the Anglicization of Shomron. Shomron is the north because of the capital of the northern kingdom, first under Omri, and then after all the subsequent queen, kings uh, will, be, will be the Shomron. Shomron today is a great place to go, but unfortunately it's deep into Arab territory, and therefore you can go, but you have to. that's another place you have to coordinate to visit with the army. It's right next to a hostile Arab village called Sebastia. It'll later become a Herodian place called Sebastia. That's I have such kishmak guiding there because so much of the Torah, so much takes place there, including a lot of the stories I'm about to tell you in the next few days, takes place in Shomron. Uh, it's, it, it's, I, mean, I, I really find going to these places, I, I, I'm not just a tour guide stop. I really feel that these things change a person's life. You go to the place, you reimagine what the, uh, what, what the story was, and, 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 and it alters, alters your perception. So um, I'm going to conclude now uh, on time for a change. I don't go late, apologies. But, um, but I will say, with Omri and then his son Ahab, we now begin a wholly new phase in Jewish history where in the past, when they had idolatry of Odazara, it was the, you know, I can't believe he's got an iPhone that's such a Odazara kind of a Odazara. It was a figure of speech, but it wasn't the real old-time idolatry. With Ahab, with Omri and then later Ahab, they bring in, they introduce the worship of idolatry, grade A style. Something that's unprecedented. The Jews have never fallen quite this far and this low in their history. And we have to understand where that came from, what it's about, and what the extent of it is and its, in, and its impact in all subsequent history. How far away are we from the destruction of the base of Of the destruction of the base of Mikdash? We're now in the early mid-section of the first temple period. If you look again at your timeline, and if you don't have your timeline, I'll resend it to you, I'll reprint it for you. You can you can see we're about if think about it, David was the for the, the first temple was four hundred and ten years. Shlomo's term was forty years. Rahavam's just three, Avia, Asis forty one. We're about a hundred years, give or take. Into um, into the 410 year period of the first temple. If we if we like we sunk so low, we're about to you saying that the, the Jewish people are about to burst the void of I haven't yet commented on that. I'm not right. saying that we've collectively sunk low, but it is a new so phase. Good question. Ask it tomorrow. We'll we'll continue from there. Yeah.